In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, John chapter 3 is a central part of the Bible for us. All right, so much of John chapter 3 has shaped how we talk about God, how we talk about Christ, how we talk about our faith as Christians. This is where we encounter that well-known phrase, born again. This is where we're given the most famous verse in all the Bible for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. That's the verse we know. That's the verse we've seen on t-shirts, bumper stickers. We've seen it at football games and so forth. But I hope in all that familiarity, we don't miss the full picture of what Jesus tells Nicodemus. So walking through the dialogue, I think, will help us to see what's going on. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that there is a problem. There's a problem Nicodemus does not know how to solve. And likewise, this is also true for us. There's a problem that we really don't know how to solve. The problem is figuring out what can I do to be part of the kingdom of God? That's a problem that's universal in humanity. I was listening to a podcast this week, and there was a commercial on the podcast for an app called Hallow, the Hallow app. And so Hallow is a Catholic app uh, that will guide you through prayers, through devotional readings, through different meditations, uh, in line with the Catholic faith. Uh, most famously, I think Mark Wahlberg, the actor, is an investor in Hallow. So it's become well-known uh, in recent years. But the commercial really struck me as I heard it. Uh, because first off, it sounded good. You know, here's an app that's going to help people pray, that's going to give them scripture readings and so forth. But this commercial uh, said something along the lines of, download the Hallow app this Lent. It will guide you in prayer, give you Catholic readings, and it will help your quest to be a better person. And that struck me, especially as a Lutheran, of course, that struck me, the quest to be a better person. Nicodemus, I think, would be a big fan of the Hallow app, because when he comes to Jesus, he's looking for a way to have a better life. He's trying to make himself a better person. He comes to Jesus with this question, what can I do? to be part of the kingdom of God. And so let's think through Nicodemus and his character and his problem. So we're told that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. That means he takes the Old Testament laws very seriously. He has the laws on his forehead, literally. He lives his life with the law in mind. That's his highest priority in life. And not only is he a Pharisee, a person who takes the law seriously, but we're told he's a leader of the Jews. He's a ruler of the Jewish people. And so this makes him a man of influence, a man in the spotlight. If he messes up and breaks the law, everyone's going to know it. If he doesn't keep the law, he'll be labeled a hypocrite. We also can guess that he's well-educated. He's cultured. He is a leader. He's a ruler. He has access to the Roman governor Pontius Pilate. Nicodemus is a man that seems to have it all together. He should have all the answers. He's the kind of man that we ascribe to be, we want, we aspire to be. We want to be like Nicodemus, successful and educated, uh, someone who loves doing the right thing. 
Then we're given the detail that Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Right? Again, Nicodemus is concerned about accusations of breaking the law. And so he's hedging his bets a little bit. If Jesus turns out to be a false prophet, if Jesus is a false messiah or something worse, then Nicodemus does not want to be seen with him. His reputation is at stake. And so Nicodemus is always concerned with doing the right thing, being seen as being righteous. And that's why Nicodemus comes to Jesus, because he's interested in doing the right thing and being better. He comes to Jesus and he calls him rabbi. He says to Jesus, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. In other words, Jesus, you do the things that make God see that. Now show us how to do the things that will make God happy. Teach us the secrets of all. Teach us what we need to do. Well, Jesus undercuts Nicodemus right away. He just absolutely slays Nicodemus and Nicodemus' way of thinking. Because Jesus says to him, you can't see the kingdom of God without being born again. So the Greek word here that's translated above can also be translated as again. Right? You can't see the kingdom of God without being born again or born above. Both translations are right. And so depending on the context, the word can be talking about space or time. So again, or above. Here, Jesus is playing with words, and he means both. No one will see the kingdom without being born again and being born from above. And right away, Nicodemus is confused. How can anyone be born again after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? To be born again is against the laws of nature. Right? Your mom might really love you. She might do anything for you. But she most certainly cannot give birth to you again. So don't ask. She's not willing. Nicodemus, like all of us, though, is looking for a way to read the Bible and to find a way to make God pleased with us, right? What can I do to earn God's favor? Do I need to follow a particular commandment? Do I have to be generous and kind? Is there a secret way to interpret the Bible that will make God accessible to me? What can I do? But Jesus quite clearly tells Nicodemus, there's nothing you can do. It's completely out of your control. It's impossible for you. You can't give birth to yourself. You can't make it happen. It's not something anyone can do for you. It's only something that God can do to you and for you. Right? Nicodemus wants a set of rules to follow. He wants the law. He wants a way to maintain control over his life and do all the things he needs to to earn his salvation and to enter the kingdom of God. And of course that makes sense. Nicodemus is a smart, thoughtful, successful man. He's made it in this world. But Jesus tells him here that he can't earn his way into the kingdom. God is going to have to give it to him. So Jesus tells him the new birth comes from the water and the spirit. Things that are outside of his control. And so Jesus says the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit will do what he wishes to do. He goes where he wants. 
That means you can't control him. You can't manipulate him. You can't win his favor. You have nothing to do with your salvation. It's all the work of God. And that's the message that pushes back against everything we think we know about how the world works. It shocks Nicodemus. Nicodemus' last words here, how can these things be? What do you mean that it's all the work of the Spirit? What do you mean there is nothing I can do to earn God's favor? What about all the laws in the Old Testament? What about all the good works that I have done? Don't those matter? And Jesus answers, no one has ascended to heaven except the one who descended. Nicodemus, you're not going to find a way to heaven through your efforts. You can't get there through following the law. Through following the law. It doesn't matter how much you pray, how well you follow the rules, how much success you have in this world, none of that will save you. Only the work of God is going to save you. Only the fact that the Spirit has chosen you will save you. And so we ask the question when we read this gospel, how do we approach Jesus Christ? Do you come to Jesus so that you can learn how to behave in such a way that will make God happy? Do you come to Jesus looking only for someone to teach you the things that will make you a happier, better person? If so, then you're coming to Jesus just as Nicodemus did. You're looking for something to do. And if your salvation is dependent on you doing something, you're not going to make it. In John 3, Jesus wants you to hear something else. He doesn't want you to hear that you need to do something. He doesn't want you to hear that you need to download an app to guide you in prayer to make you a better person. He doesn't want you to hear a list of rules that you have to follow because you don't. What Jesus wants is for you to hear that he has done something for you. He was lifted up on the cross for you. He has put an end to doing. And now he's given you a promise here. That's what Paul says in our reading from Romans. He gives you a promise, and that eternal life, and it's a gift. As St. Paul says, the promise rests on grace. That is, it's a gift to you. You can do nothing to earn it. Just as the promise and the word came to Abraham out of the blue, he did nothing to earn it. He didn't know God. He didn't believe in God. He wasn't following God. God's promise came to him seemingly out of the blue to Abraham. He didn't earn that promise. It was given to him as a gift. And so God as well gives you the promise. It's something he does for you. In the waters of your baptism, he gives you the gift of new birth. He does that for you and to you. God has united you to his son, and he has taken away your sins. And so the God who gives life to the dead calls into existence the things that do not exist. Likewise, God calls into existence your salvation. He calls into existence your forgiveness, and he calls into existence your identity as his child. He does that for you. You do not earn it. You cannot earn it. And so through the faith that he has given you, God has raised you from the dead. God has saved you apart from your works. Amen.